Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Backroom Football Talk Show. I'm Ricardo Big Rick here reporting for duty and I have Gio on the line. Big Rick. Wow, that's uh I guess we're going with that one. All right. I like it. Yeah, I'm just I'm getting it done early. Yeah, he's got he's feeling it today. He's got a lot uh you're excited for this one. I know your your team's got some good links, oh. so I am pumped. I am pumped. We'll, we'll, don't worry, Gio. We'll find you a nice nickname. Um, <laughs> I know we we used to call you Spaghetti Ankles. Uh, yeah. Just because of the a, Italian. <laughs> that's a listener tale. for uh, You guys might uh, learn more about that as the pod goes on, but we'll save that one for you so you have something to look forward to. <laughs> it's, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, but anyways, we will talk about a little bit about what the transfer market has been leaving for us in the last few days um obviously calvin phillips is practically a city player and you know i hate this kind of we're in this period where everything's been sort of announced by the big names in the in the transfer market you know um fabrizio david ornstein um ben jacobs di marzio all these guys have pretty much announced some signings and then we're in that quiet period between when they're announced by the sport journalists and when the club clubs actually announce it you know we have that with gabriel jesus um who is who's, i'm sure is going to be announced shortly um sterling is supposedly pretty much done calvin phillips is pretty much done um and there's some other signings that have been have been pretty much reviewed but not unveiled by the clubs officially you know and i, I kind of hate that that little period in between yeah. no i agree it's uh but it's exciting, yeah. We got a lot, uh, a lot of stuff to go to cover here. So let's uh, let's jump into it, Big Rick. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> well, one that has been unveiled officially, though, and let's start with that one. Why not? It's a big one. It's Gareth Bale going to LAFC. Um, it's now official. The club has confirmed it. It's a one-year deal with an option to extend for a further eighteen months. Obviously, and Gio, we've been talking about this a lot, right? He just wanted to get fit for the world cup and do the best best possible world cup um that he can that he can do with with wales right so what do you think um obviously when we talked about it we talked about maybe cardiff being an option we talked about why not southampton we talked about other different different clubs obviously hitafe which was a very weird link um and now we never talked about the mls we didn't think i think we saw bill closer to retirement than to the mls um i don't know if it's it's pretty much the same thing but what do you think yeah, like I was just going to say, you know, <laughs> a lot of times these uh, former stars, them going to the MLS is is kind of, um, you know, very similar to retirement in a lot of ways. But you see Giorgio Callini joining him there, and that's definitely a, yeah. a retirement tour. So, I mean, honestly, um, I think with Gareth Bale going to LAFC, can can any of us really be surprised? I mean, it's, um, let's look, it's uh, obviously the MLS has a lot of attraction for players um, kind of nearing the finish line of their career and a lot of guys like to end up in places like LA and um, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of um, you know players soon go to places like Miami and kind of those uh, those nice sunny places in the states and look he's like you said you kind of said it already he's he's wanting to prepare for the World Cup um, that's his only goal I mean this is the first time Wales have been in the World Cup since Gosh, I think it was like 56 years or something crazy like that. Maybe more. I'm not too sure the exact 60, number. 64, I believe. Was it? Yeah. See, so even it's a massive, massive um, accomplishment for, for the Welsh team and, and the country of Wales. And you know that's going to be his his target moving forward. Um, and yeah, he'll use his time to get fit, get some touches in. And I don't think there's any 
real ambition there other than that than to kind of prep for the World Cup. And then obviously if he does well and he likes likes to fit, then you know, he can uh he can extend and, and kind of plug the rest of his career through the MLS and, and go through that. So do you th- you think it's a it's a good decision for Bill? Yeah, I do. I think I like I said, like he's not for him, I think the biggest thing we were discussing, um, at least from what I took from it, is that <clears throat> his big uh, his big focus is going to be where can I get touches, but also and kind of get ready for the World Cup. But where can I go where perhaps the um, the competition isn't too demanding? It's not too physical, um, and um, and I think that I think LA is the the perfect um, place for him for that. So um, yeah, it's it makes sense. It makes sense to me. So. He'll get prepared there. He doesn't have to worry about going to the championship in England where, you know, things are very physical and um, risk injury. I think he's, he's kind of put himself in a good position. What about, what about the club's perspective? What about LAFC? You think it's a good call from, from their point of view? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, I think especially if you put him in kind of a, a sheltered situation as well. I mean, I know they also have uh, Christian Vela there too um, on the right wing. So, um, there isn't, I don't think he's coming in to be this massive game changer that is going to, you know, um, lift the club, um, you know, into any sort of, it's not like, I mean, they're not trying to bring him in to kind of, you know, be the missing piece of something big. I think if anything, it's also great marketing for the club. Um, you know, it's a great way to sell jerseys and get some fan excitement in there as well. But, um, I really think it's a, it's a win-win situation. You know, it's a low, low risk, high reward kind of situation. So. Um, you know, I think, yeah, like definitely the marketing aspect is, is a big, a big one, probably the, the biggest factor to consider for them because they're doing bail a favor. They're just telling him, listen, come in. You don't even have to play every game. Probably you don't even have to, he doesn't have to be playing and giving a hundred percent, probably not to, to achieve some success individually in the, in the MLS and not just that, but the thing is bail doesn't like, we've seen bail play maybe less than a hundred 80 minutes with Real Madrid this season, you know, um, in between what well, well, he, he's, and he's been scoring for Wales. He's been delivering on the biggest stage, uh, European qualifiers, you know, world cup qualifiers. And, and, and this is the thing. He doesn't need the minutes, which is, which is crazy to think about because that just tells you how talented he is and how good he knows his body. And he knows he can take care of it because he does what he needs to do without playing games and matches with Real Madrid. And he still delivers when when his country needs him, right? So it's it's crazy to think that it, that he can that it can be done, but it can be. And and so if that's the case, why not go to a place where you're going to enjoy life? I think this guy is going to be golfing five <laughs> days a week. He's going to be golfing five days a week. Sometimes no, he might not? Not, not go not go to the club, you know, and 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 train. And that's the thing. Like, are, are is LAFC going to be okay with him kind of taking it easy and kind of? doing his own thing because I doubt that this guy's going to be out on the training field every day. You know, sometimes he'll bike, sometimes he'll swim. He'll, he'll do another, he'll do what he thinks he needs for the world cup. But then my worry is what happens after the world cup, you know, because his well, motivation, it doesn't seem to be a player that was motivated to even play for Real Madrid, which is the biggest club in the world. So is he going to stay motivated to finish the season afterwards? But my question is, yeah, I mean, also, Quick thing there, apologies to, uh, it's Carlos Vela. I don't know why I Carlos said Carlos Vela, yeah. I was thinking of something else. So my apologies, Carlos. I know you're probably not listening, but you should. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, in my opinion, my, my response to that is like, who cares? 
Like if he doesn't, like we know he's gonna he's gonna come in the first half of the season and he's gonna want to impress. He's gonna want to play well. He's because he has incentive to for the World Cup. He has incentive to to perform and he has incentive to um, to do well and to kind of prepare himself properly for for Wales. And two things for me is that if he doesn't and he's not motivated, it's a one year contract, so he can go by the end of the year. By that point, you've sold probably. Gosh knows how many jerseys they've sold and how much revenue they brought in from just the excitement of bringing him in. The second thing too is is that I don't want to you know put down the MLS, but we have seen players come into the MLS like Sebastian Jovinko couldn't even really field himself on in a starting eleven in City A, and he comes in as the greatest player, <laughs> arguably in Toronto FC history. You have you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who you know fair enough did perform well at Milan. Um, and, but like was dominant at LA galaxy. So I think Gareth Bale, you know, he's going to come in and he's, I'm not, I don't want to say it's going to be easy for him, but I do think he's still going to be considered one of the elite players in the league. And he's going to be able to perform at that level simply by his talent level. So at the end of the day, I think he's got a great opportunity because he's going to, I think he's going to have success, but on the other side, if he doesn't, and he has shows a lack of commitment it's a one year deal. You're done after the year, and you've you know. Yeah, well, isn't I like when when I first saw the move. First thing I thought was like maybe on the player side it wasn't a good move. Obviously, on the club side, first off, it's fantastic. Why? Because you're not even paying him uh, uh, like the best salary in the league. He doesn't even care about that. He just wants to get to the World Cup, right? Exactly. So you're paying him. You're giving him a good salary that is not like a a huge ask for the club who's already doing well. And already won a championship a couple of years ago, right? So, and, and and you know that on the sporting aspect, they're gonna keep performing whether they have Bale or not. They're gonna be a good team whether they have Bale or not. Probably, arguably, the best team in the league, right? Um, and also, yeah, like you said, the marketing. He's he's signing on a free transfer, so these guys are spending less than two million dollars on Bale for the first year. But I think it was smart from their um, side to kind of add the renewal clause for a year and a half. Why? Because the Euros are in 2024. It's in, it's two years coming, coming right? So, like, if Bale finds himself maybe loving life at a, in LA, which, to be honest, I don't see as a as a crazy thing to assume that he will, oh, because, yeah. like I said, he'll be golfing five days a week, and on the side, he'll be playing for LAFC, you know? And um, maybe he goes to the World Cup, has a great World Cup, goes back to the club to finish the season, and then sort of finds himself... Thinking, listen, why don't I stay a year and a half, qualify to the Euros, or try to take Wills to the Euro- Euros? And if I don't, then I can retire happily and move wherever I want, right? All Go back home, of- stay in LA, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's that's just it, too. And I think, just, uh, and I don't want to spend too much time on bail, but um, last thing here for, for on my end is that, look, this guy is only 32. I mean, we're we're talking about him a little bit like this guy's like thirty eight or thirty nine years old, and he's really at the the real, real ending of his career. I mean, every player's different, but you know, he's still got if he's got it in him, he's got a lot of legs left. It's just a matter of where his headspace is at. So we'll see. He'll get prepped for the World Cup. He'll that'll be a great moment for him and his country. And then, um, you know, I think he'll come back to LA and continue to thrive. But again, if he doesn't, low risk low cost operation um all it really did all it would have done worst case scenario brings a lot of hype to la and and a lot of hype to the mls and then that's that 
Yeah, no, and brilliant move from from LAFC, who also have Chiellini and also re-signed Carlos Vela, right? So it's a it seems like it's going to be a good a good season, and it's a great team. Um, and somebody who's also having a a great summer transfer window, I would say, but back in England is Manchester City, right? So obviously, after getting Holland and Julian Alvarez. Now they, they seem to have closed the signing of Calvin Phillips to uh, Manchester City from Leeds United. Um, pretty cheap. And you know, we were mentioning, um, I think when we were talking about Gabriel Jesus, we were mentioning, I think it was you, you that brought it up. Would you pay 50 million pounds for a sub? And that's exactly what Manchester City have done because I don't think that Calvin Phillips will easily walk onto the starting 11 at City. But what do you, what do you think about that move? Well, the way I look at it is, is I think it's a great move for them. Um, I think it was an important move for them too. I think one of the big sort of question marks for a city coming into the new year was how are they going to address depth and versatility, especially with uh, Fernandinho gone. And um, I think, I think this does a, a number of things for them. Um, first off, I think the the price tag that they paid, you know, it's funny. It sounds like a lot, which it obviously is. But you have to contextualize the amount of money they spent. Spending this money, if you're a team like, I don't know, Brighton or a team like, um, uh, you know, a smaller club. And, you know, I always go back to Roma and and the city, uh, but like a mid-level team, that's a huge amount of money. But we're talking about Man City. For them, this is like a 10 million euro move for some of those other, other clubs. They have the financial power to do it. So it's really not a lot in City's context. Um, so I like the move in that sense. Um, and I think it just, you know what it is too, you know, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but you know what it is. Um, If we're, if we're thinking on, on the budget, they just spent 50 million pounds on him and offloaded Gabriel Jesus for pretty much 50 million pounds. I think it's 45 up front. So they've spent 5 million. Yeah. They've spent 5 million pounds on, on, uh, 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 to be honest, a, a sub that they needed in that position because Rodri was pretty much playing every game. Yeah, no, and absolutely. That's a great point that basically it's a, it's close to a wash if you look at their other operations that they've done, right? So that's even, you know, cherry on top for them. And like I said, I think the biggest thing it's going to be or that it's going to give them is tactical uh, versatility. And, and what's really important, it's going to allow them to manage Rodri a lot better. Um, and I think... You can utilize um, Fernand or sorry Fernandinho. You can use Calvin Phillips in a double pivot with with uh, with Rodri, which I think is yep. um, something that uh, Pep will look into doing. I think it also allows Rodri rest. You know, he played a ton of matches, and um, Fernandinho still was was able to kind of cover that workload a little bit and, and allow him to um, you know rest when needed. And um, I think also, too, the nice thing about Calvin Phillips and the way he plays, too, is he can kind of push up the field um, and allow Rodri to kind of sit in that holding position when they are in sort of a a double pivot. Um, So it will allow Phillips to kind of um, get forward and kind of join the attack where Rodri can be more comfortable in that holding position. Um, And yeah, like you say, even if he doesn't start, right, he is a nice option off the bench for to give Rodri a rest. But when he does start, he does fit into the lineup quite well as well so i think overall great move yeah no one listen like uh, yeah i say he doesn't start because he's not the the player with the most quality on the team he has that like he has quality and he's very good he can be very good technically and obviously defensively more more so but 
he will start some games because Guardiola is very much a coach that rotates pretty much every two, three games. He's fielding a different lineup, right? So I do think that it's going to be a case of him starting every four or five games and, and you know, obviously getting off the bench in, in certain situations when, when maybe they need it on the big games against, say, Liverpool, Tottenham, Arsenal, United. Well, United is not such a big game. Chelsea, you know, um, they, they might need that defensive reinforcement and that's where he can come, come in off the bench, which would be a great help. Um, and also, of course, when Rodri does um, rest, then that's where Calvin Phillips will come in. So I do know that he is going to play. But you just think about it. Like Guardiola is very smart in, in, in what he does. And he obviously likes to have a, a deep squad. And that's what he's done because, you, well, there's reports that Cucurella is his next target right now, which is exactly what he needs. He needs a natural left left back. And all, the only one he had is Sinchenko. He's Sinchenko. He's, he's been playing uh, Cancelo on that side. So he's just trying to make sure that he gets the final pieces that he needs to have the great project that's going to make him finally win that Champions League that he's been chasing for 10 years now. You know, and I think that's what he's doing. And, and, and if he sees that Calvin Phillips is that piece in the midfield, then so be it. And I think, I do think it's a good move too. Yeah. And I also, we, there is some uncertainty with, uh, Gundogan and, uh, Silva, right? We don't really know what yeah. their futures hold in terms of the midfield. So they do need reinforcing either way, um, with those guys, um, you know, with their future in the balance. So yeah, I think, like I said, tactical versatility, good price point can use him on the field in your preferred 11 or you can also bring him off the bench in if he's a sub for you so really there's nothing to to dislike about the move in, in my opinion all right let's talk about arsenal because i am surprised by arsenal and how aggressive they've been in this transfer market um obviously they've they've signed Nketiah to a new deal they've pretty much done, uh, signed gabriel jesus uh, Fabio from, from Porto is also in. Lisandro Martinez is a big target and they've apparently been very aggressive with Ajax on the negotiations. They're pretty much close to, uh, to, um, agreeing a fee or getting closer to the fee that Ajax was asking for, which is 50 million. Um, the latest offer apparently is 40 plus add-ons. So that's probably going to happen. Um, and not only that, but Ajax, the, what the reports say is that Ajax will not sail both Julian Timber and Lisandro Martinez and Timber is a Manchester United United target. So if you close Lisandro Martinez, that means that you're essentially keeping United from signing a quality addition too. So it's it's something that it works both ways. And then a final one is that uh, Saliba is coming back from loan from Marseille. So I do think that Arsenal is is doing everything that they can to strengthen the squad quickly and then have time in the preseason to make it work. And Arteta's being very smart about it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that um, Arsenal has been quite <clears throat> savvy on the market. I think that they're, you know, they're very aggressive um, and they're trying and they're definitely um, addressing uh, areas of need. And I think the biggest thing too, is they're building a squad for, for Arteta. Um, and I think that's going to be, I think that's going to pay dividends. I think, we do know that they have a lot of really exciting young pieces and we do kind of expect them to be a very, um, you know, intriguing squad within the next couple of years here with just kind of their, their talent coming through their youth ranks. But 
um, for them to supplement their current squad and continue to add these players of quality, I think is going to be really interesting. So, I mean, Arsenal's kind of the EPL punching bag in a lot of ways. I mean, people yeah. like to rag on them, but you know, this team. I like, be- I like to. Yeah. Right. I mean, as a Chelsea fan, I'm sure you're, you're, you love being in there, but I think it'll be interesting to see um, where they end up. I think, they're definitely going to be pushing teams. And I think they might be kind of that, um, that surprise team in, in the new year um, or in the new season here. Um, them and Tottenham, I think have a lot of potential to come into this new season here and uh, create a lot of problems for some of those bigger teams. Well, Tottenham was another one that we, we started mentioning a couple episodes ago about how, how well they were doing and how, how good of a transfer market they were, they were, they were having, right? Obviously um, they, what, I would say from the last, from the previous window with Bentancur and Kulusevsky, you know, and then now that they've gotten uh, Bisuma from, from Brighton too. So I think they're doing really well. Um, and they should also be one to watch for um, in the, in the Premier League. And they, and they definitely now have the expectation of making top four if they could do it with the squad they had last year. Now the, the excuses are gone, right? They, they, they have no room for error. They have to make that top four, but so, does Chelsea and so does Arsenal, right? The expectation is always there. And for Arsenal, because it's a young team, people were writing them off, but they should have been fourth last year. If they hadn't fallen off the wagon in the last couple uh, matches, they would be in the Champions League next next season. So now Arteta, and this is what I was going to ask you, does he, have an ex- has, does he have an excuse not to make top four now? Because the trust, he's had the trust. He's been at Arsenal for three years now. And he didn't make Champions League and they didn't sack him and he didn't win Europa League and didn't sack him. You know, like he hasn't been achieving what the club is, is maybe used to. You know, Arsenal would always go to the Champions League with Arsene Wenger. So with all these signings, great additions, I mean, Gabriel Jesus is a serial winner. You know, and Ketia is a great youngster, one to watch out for. He already has Saka in there. He has Odegaard in there. He has Emil Smith-Rowe. The defense was already performing well last season. And that's one of the reasons why they were able to push for Champions League towards the end. And now he has Saliba, who had a great season with Marseille coming back. So does he have, he, he ha, in, in my opinion, he has no more excuses. He has to make top four. And I think Arsenal will. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's it's a really hard one to kind of, you know, um, say whether or not like Arteta, whether or not he has an excuse or not to 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 fail in the top four and, and not make it. I mean, look, he's not. I think there's three teams that there's. It's clear that he's not going to displace from the top four. It's going it's going to be City, it's going to be Liverpool, and it's going to be Chelsea, right? In my opinion, then that leaves one spot for Tottenham. Uh, Arsenal, Man U, and then a little bit on the outside chance, probably Leicester is going to be in there. Um, and um, maybe West Ham might continue to push a little bit um, in that area. So basically, it's one spot for, let's see here, one, two, three, four, four teams, right? So I don't know. Do you, like, for me, it's it's tricky because you, you kind of have to be honest with yourself in, in, in a way, like who has more pressure? Does Ten Hag have more pressure or does Arteta have more pressure? Does I think Ten Hag, so, so, so Ten Hag, I think he'll be manager in two years time, no matter what, whether he makes champions or not. I think finally they're, 
taking someone in and trusting him. And they're not signing random players. They're signing the players that he wants. Uh, and so that shows trust, trust that we haven't seen before. We didn't see with Ole uh, Solskjaer. We didn't see with Van Gaal before. So I think that United, maybe they won't make the Champions League. I think they, they're going to be out of that running towards the end of the season. But Ten Hag is going to stay. So that's the thing. Like Ten Hag is new. He knows, he probably knows that he's going to stay unless United is an absolute mess, with I don't, which I don't think they will be. But Arteta, does he know that he's going to stay next year? Does Conte know that he's going to want to stay if he doesn't make the Champions League? I, I, yeah, I think it's honestly going to, I think the answer to that lies in how the season plays out. Not necessarily if, if they make it or if they don't make it, but I think it's, it's how these things transpire. I think the one, like, it's pretty obvious that the one thing that Arteta has against them that some of those other managers you mentioned don't is that he's been there a while, right? So, like, we know in coaching and all professional sports, like, your time runs thin when you're not performing. You only get so many opportunities. Um, but I don't know. I just think it's it's really tough to say, look, Arteta out, and that's kind of what we have to do to 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 get into the Champions League if he misses, you know? Um, I like Arteta as, as a manager. I think that there, he's improved a lot of areas of that team. And I think if you supply him with players that can fit his system and that he can work with, you'll see good results. It's just, it's, it's hard because it's such a competitive run for that fourth spot. Um, but you know what? Based off of the way sports operate, you know what? Maybe he is on the chopping block if they don't make it. But again, I think it's going to... I think that's that answer is going to come with how the season plays out. You know, like is he going to be riddled if he's riddled with injuries? Are they going to take that into account if he does well? You know, what if he what if he misses the Champions League and wins the Carabao Cup or something like that? Or what if he you know what if he has other what if he performs well in other other parts of the season but he still misses Champions League? How do they weigh that? Right. So it's. It's really hard, I think. I think that's an incredibly difficult question. I think they should stick with them even if they miss the Champions League unless the, unless the season's like a complete disaster. I think he's the right man for the job moving forward. And I think now that they're building around him and for him, it's the best time to kind of stick it through and show your commitment to your guy. Well, you know who is finally, Gio, making some moves in the market? Who's that? Chelsea. Chelsea's oh. making moves, man. Chelsea's making oh, moves. I'm man. so happy. Finally, I've been waiting so long for these guys to, to move, you know, and obviously they had the sanctions and all, but Todd Bowley is finally starting to make some, some decisions, some harder decisions um, as well, such as, I mean, obviously P Peter Cech um, kind of stepped down from his role as advisor, which he was doing a great job. Or let's not forget, he's the one that brought Mendy to the club and look how that turned out. But also Marina Granovskaya, who everybody knows, um, was, you know, the, the, the chief negotiator in the, in the transfer market for Chelsea for years, um, almost all throughout the, um, Abramovich era, right? She's gone now. And that was pretty much a Todd Bowley's decision. Um, and now as soon as I, I heard about that, I was, I was kind of hesitant and I was like, wow, like she's a tough negotiator. She's done great in the past. Like, why are we? Why are we looking to get rid of her, right? But then Todd Bowley goes in and signs Rafinha all of all, all of a sudden, out of the blue. Like if we had recorded this episode two hours ago, we would have been talking about Rafinha potentially going to Arsenal. And now it looks like he's 
signed for Chelsea pretty much. Uh, agreement has been reached between between uh, Leeds and Chelsea, and now it's all about the personal terms with the players. So I'm happy about that one, obviously. We've been talking about Dembele. We've been talking about Sterling and other links. Uh, Rafinha was pretty much something that we knew might have been there in terms of the interest from Chelsea, but within within five hours, it was pretty much a done deal. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy how the... I mean, there's so many names that were linked to Chelsea. Honestly, it started getting to a point where, you know, it's hard to keep up. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good thing that uh, your lazy ass slept in. So then we could uh, we could record <laughs> a little bit later and, and get this news for ourselves. So um, yeah, I mean, Chelsea's been super active, like you said, and in terms of the links that they've been um, or the names that they've been linked with. But um, yeah, I think it's a great move for them. I mean, obviously, that's a, an area of need. I I'm, I'm curious, though. I mean, you might be able to to chime in a little bit more, but how does that affect the um, the pursuit of guys like Sterling? Well, and that's what I've been hearing, but I don't think it ex- it affects it too much. Obviously, both Rafinha and Sterling can play on both sides of the field, and Rafinha apparently, I've, what I've been reading, the reports I've been reading, is that Tuchel also wants to try him out as a as a wing back, um, which I disagree with i don't think he should because he of his he's very much an attacking player and and i think you don't have to have him winded from running back and forth when you have players like reese james who can do that right but maybe he could be a secondary role as a wing back you know but when reese james needs to rest he can play in there um maybe on the left side maybe on the right side it doesn't really matter because he he's good both both ways um but i think sterling is not really the sterling deal is not really affected i think it's pretty much closed by the way and um i think it'll happen and sterling can also play as a false nine too but he was he was used to like that by guardiola a lot and it did work so what what I, obviously rafinha what he adds what he brings to the table is assists some goals maybe not as much but the final service is definitely there something that Havertz who seems like he's going to play that number nine role this season will will very much enjoy and then obviously Sterling brings some goals um he scored over 110 goals with City for Guardiola so I think that it's a it's a great move and it won't really be affected by by what happens with with Rafinha I don't think yeah no that makes sense I mean like like you said I mean with with Pulisic on his way out, seemingly and disgruntled, I mean, there's there's needs. Well, you know, you know, you know what? I think, I think, and I think you mentioned this before. Like Pulisic is an American player. We have American owners now, so maybe he is not going to be the one that is sacrificed. But I know that Hakim Ziyech is looking for a for a way out, and they are, the club is looking for him to leave too, whether it's on loan with an option to buy or or uh, on sale, right? And and AC Milan was very much interested. Um, Apparently, the, the player might have been interested in that one too. And that one was going to be a loan deal. So we'll see how that evolves. But that's the thing. Rafinha is a pretty similar profile to that of Hakim Siesh, right? So obviously, he has a bit more pace than Siesh. So I do think it's an improvement. It's an upgrade. But definitely, like you're saying, we are going to have to take care of, of people that are departing, right? Because we can't have Callum Hudson-Odoi in there. We can't have Timo Werner. In my opinion, we can't have him there. Um, Pulisic is probably going to stay, but is another one that's going to have a secondary role this year, very much so. If Dembele comes in, he could still come in. I don't think he will now because we closed Rafinha. But if he if he did come in, then there's definitely no room for Pulisic. So I do think that it's it's kind of complicated. 
as because of the amount of talent that we have up top. But and and a lot of people have been saying like, yeah, you're signing players up top, but what about your defense, right? And to a degree, they're right. But I'm not too worried. I'm not too worried because first off, Thiago Silva's there, and I know that he's going to lead the line no matter what. Shaloba had a good first year for the most part with Chelsea. Um, as a as a defender, he can play in a, in a back three, in a back four as a center back. Um, Reese James can play as a right center back, so I'm not too worried about that one. And then the latest link was Nathan Ake from City. I don't know if you if you heard about that one and if you think it's a good move for him. Yeah, I don't really see Ake coming to Chelsea. Um, I think if you listen to, I think he had a recent report where he was talking to a Dutch paper and or a Dutch out news outlet, and he was very much. Um, keen on sort of winning his spot with City. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it would be a bad move for him because obviously we know that Chelsea needs centre-backs and um, is targeting one. But I think also I don't really see Man City, if they don't have to do business with their direct rival, that they would do that. Um, I think that, I think, I mean, I really like Aka. He's a really good, I think he's a great defender. He's good with his feet. Um, and he can definitely, you know, I think he can play well under Guardiola. He did play well, um, when there was injuries, um, and he was able to kind of fill in there. So, um, I think he'll, I think if anything, he'll, he'll stick around at Man City and kind of try to earn more of a spot. And then I think he will, if there is a big move for Ake, it'll be next year. Um, not this year. So I think, and also Chelsea's linked to, to every center back on, on the earth right now. So (laughs) it's hard to really know. I mean, I think if Chelsea has their... I mean, I know that they're linked with two defenders from City, uh, De Ligt and uh, Skriniar. They're also... And you know, Koulibaly, too. And Koulibaly. That's right, Koulibaly. They've also got their eyes on Jules Koundé, although he seems to be closer to Barcelona, although we never know. Um, I don't know if Ake is the one, just given what I've just said there, that if City don't have to do business with Chelsea, they probably prefer not to. And then Chelsea's also got, I think, targets that uh that they place ahead of Ake. I think I think it's a good point what you said about if you don't need to do business with a direct rival, don't. But also I don't think I don't think City sees Chelsea as a direct rival for the title. You know, I think the only team they wouldn't do business with in England is um is Liverpool. But yes, thank you for being a boss kill. Chelsea fans disregard everything Gio just said. Um <laughs> But no, Nathan Ake, I, I'll tell you why it's a good move, Gio. Um, right. Nathan Ake is very much a versatile defender. He can play as a right, as a left center back, as a left back, and as a center back on a, in a back, back four. Um, and this is what Guardiola liked about him when he signed him. This is what Tuco likes about him. Tuco already tried signing him when he was back in Dortmund. Um, so... That's that's one point. That's one big point. So it tells you a lot about how much the, the coach will value the player. I'm sure that if eventually they do have some sort of contact, which it always happens, this is going to be expressed, and he he's going to explain why he's going to be instrumental to his um, to his Chelsea side. I do think that he could be a great addition. Obviously, he's not going to be the highest profile signing that Chelsea close, but he's going to be very useful because of that versatility that he has you know he can play he could even play as a left wing back you know if if need be um and i'm sure he would do better than alonso or emerson right so he has the quality the technical quality he has the iq the football iq and he's obviously very much 
very aggressive and and a very strong center back in, to to have in the back, right? So I do think that he could be a good signing. I think that it it's very much doable because of what you would have to pay for him, which is pretty much around forty to fifty million pounds tops, and that's like that's that's maybe exaggerating a little bit, right? Um, and that's what maybe City would need because of the fact that they're gonna sell to a direct rival, right? So they make they need to make it worth their while. Do you really um, think though that like City is gonna do? I mean, all your points are valid, but I just, I, I don't know if I'm looking at it and let's face it, I'm going to be wrong on a lot of stuff. So this probably, this might just be part of it, but <laughs> do you really think that like if City's going to engage in a big deal, not necessarily a big deal, but a deal for Sterling and they'll also do Ake as well. I just, I don't know. I think two major moves with, although they're not direct rival, Chelsea is a threat to City. That's, that's no doubt. I mean, um, well, that's the thing. Like, I do think that, it's kind of tough to think that they'll do both. Um, but Chelsea has money, right? Chelsea was one of the most like financially healthy teams to come out of the, nice. of the pandemic, right? Yeah, no, it's nice. It's like, we love life. <laughs> um, so, so Chelsea can overpay. If I'll tell you right now, they overpaid for Rafinha a little bit because they knew that in doing so, it would make the difference for Leeds and it would be closed as soon as possible, which is what they cared, right? They're not, they're not, playing around Chelsea we don't play around Gio so Chelsea <laughs> can go on and offer 60 million on Akik and I know that it will be worth it because he is going to be used a lot um, I don't think any of the other transfer targets so let's get into those Chelsea is looking to sign two center backs at least but two center backs is the goal out of Jules Kunde, who like you said is a bit closer to Barca because he wants to play for that club um Matthias De Ligt from Juve, which has a 100 million um, euro valuation from Juventus. Pretty much impossible unless Chelsea go nuts. Koulibaly, who finishes his contract next year, 2023. Um, so that one could be a decent one. And he's he's 31, I believe, right now, 32. Um, yeah, 31, I think. Yeah, 31. Perfect. So out of those three and Ake, they, they're looking to sign two. Right. How about how about Skriniar? Skriniar was just one that we. It, it, it's very much a, a new information and new interest, but I think that he's going to end up at PSG. PSG. But yeah, Chelsea are also interested in him. They're also interested yeah. in him. But if you think about it, none of those none of those players are left footed, other than Nathan Ake. Well, Koulibaly. Sorry, my bad. Koulibaly is left footed. So Koulibaly is the only other uh, profile that could play in that position. You know, that could give you that uh, versatility. But can Koulibaly play as a left back? No, not no. my opinion. Could he play maybe as a of, as a left wing back if need be? I don't no, think so either. Right. No. So this is why, and he's also younger. He's twenty five, I believe, Nathan Ake. So this is why twenty seven. Sorry, he's twenty seven, and this is why I think that it's a it's a smarter choice. It's a cheaper choice. I think Napoli is definitely not going to let Koulibaly go for fifty million, right? No, I think um, actually though. So all that sounds great for you. <laughs> I yes. just don't, I just don't think Man City's gonna do it, man. I think I, I think if I'm Man City, I'm not doing that at all. I think, like I said, Ake Man City doesn't have to sell, right? Like they're not in a position to sell. This only would benefit, you know, Chelsea, right? And if I'm Man City, I don't have any interest in doing that. I would prefer to keep Ake, especially 
considering the fact he's keen to stay. Because if one guy goes down out of Ruben Diaz, John Stones, whoever we have ahead of him, he, I want Ake there. I want Ake also filling in in different tournaments and different, you know, they're going to be a part of obviously, you know, the League Cup, the UCL, um, you know, different games. You want to give rest to, to Diaz and, and Stones and, and whoever else, even your, your left back, if you want to put in Ake, a game where you want to rest Cancelo or Zinchenko or whoever. So you're talking about all these great things about Ake, which I agree with. I just don't see why City would just give him away to for something that doesn't really help them that much other than strengthening Chelsea. So it, honestly, I think um, the most realistic option for Chelsea is going to be Koulibaly. Um, because Koulibaly, from what I've read, I could be wrong, is that he would go for about 30 million euros. So that's, we're looking at like 25 million pounds. Now, don't that quote me not- on that. Don't quote me on that exactly. I thought I read a report like that from, uh, from an outlet that when I was looking into it. But if that's true, like that's, that's a no-brainer for me. And it allows Chelsea to kind of focus their financial power in other positions as well. Yeah, but either way, you still have to get a younger center back in, I think. And that's yeah. where you could argue that the the biggest target. So apparently the highest highest target defensively is the lift from Juve, right? That's not happening. But obviously, yeah, Juventus is losing. You just lost, just lost Chiellini, right? Bonucci is not getting any younger. So the lift is is pretty much looked at as the guy that's going to lead the, 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 the back line in the future, right? Or start leading it this season. So that's why his valuation is so high. It's 100 million euros. And I think that's absurd for a center back, no matter who he is. But I genuinely think that one of those four players that we mentioned before, Kunde, De Ligt, Koulibaly, or Nathan Ake, is gonna, two, two of those are going to make the team, right? I don't think it's going to be Kunde. So that leaves us with three out of yeah. Koulibaly and... and uh, Ake and the the list, well, right? Koulibaly, just to clarify, just re- uh, open up the report that I was reading. Sorry, it was a forty million euro fee. So I guess that's close. Which to is the- still nothing. Still yeah. nothing for a team like Chelsea. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, yes, they might go down the younger route, which might be better for them. But I don't know. Like, I just don't see Man City really engaging in that business um, if they don't have to. So I think Koulibaly makes a lot of sense for them. He's still in his prime, maybe a little bit past his prime, but still very much a, a great player. And um, I think that uh, that's probably a good opportunity for them too. And, and Silva, I mean, how much longer is he really going to play? I think what they could do is go with Koulibaly and then maybe move on from Silva what next year when he's going to be 37 and have Koulibaly fill in as the new veteran center back and then bring in a guy like Delict or whoever, like an Ake profile. Gio, why don't you just want to give me Nathan Ake, man? Come it's on. It's not happening. I'm like, Ake's, <laughs> I'm like Ake's agent right now. I'm just like, I'm shooting rumors down even without any information. Just <laughs> making calls here. No, uh, like I, everything you're saying makes makes sense, right? Everything I'm saying makes sense. So we'll see who's right. But we'll I just want to address the misconception that Chelsea is not paying too much attention to the, to the back line. Because they are, right? And just think about it. Are. There's not even that much that needs to be done this summer transfer window if you get at least one of those those four signings because let's not forget you also have Trevor um Shaloba in the back right who had a great first year um with Chelsea and then if you manage to get 
well, obviously you have Thiago Silva, you have Shalobar, right? Levi Kowu is is coming back from from loan, and he's going to do the preseason. We'll see what happens there. And Reese James can also play as a right center back on a, in a back line of in a in a of three, right? So he's also something to consider if you get a, a right wing back to play in that in that middle of the park. Uh, on the right side, then you don't need Reese James there. So he could also play as a, and he did this a lot with um, this year with Tuchel, right? So I think it, there's not much to be done. Obviously, yes, you have to close at least one signing and it's better if it's two. But just think about this. If you have Thiago Silva, you have Shaloba, you have Nathan Ake, and then you have Koulibaly, let's say, right? Possibly. You have Colwell, and then you also have Reese James as a possibility, right? If you need someone to fill fill in. And then the midfield, we know that it's taken care of, right? You have Kovacic, you have Kante, you have Jorginho, you have um, Conor Gallagher coming back, you have Mason Mount, you have Ruben Loftus-Cheek. That's a very deep midfield, especially to, if you want to challenge for titles and for the league, right? And up top, you could have Sterling, you can have Rafinha, you could have Pulisic, you could have Havertz, you could have Timo Werner. Hudson Odoi is still there, probably going to leave, but still there. So it's a very deep squad still. Just because you lost Lukaku and you lost Aspiliqueta doesn't mean that you have tons of work to do in the transfer market. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about Chelsea. What is this? The Chelsea podcast? My good. <laughs> you go on for days. <laughs> but I'm no, sorry. I'm sorry. Point. Let's, go to, let's go to Serie A. Let's go to Serie A. Um, oh, finally. <laughs> Juventus, Gio. Not Roma, though. Juventus. <laughs> Disgusting. But okay. Juventus want uh, Leandro Paredes, and they apparently already got an offer rejected of only 13 million euros. I think it was too low, anyways, from PSG. Um, but what do you think? Uh, PSG apparently won 25 million. But what do you think he would bring to the table at Juventus? Obviously, he was a Roma player not too long ago, so you can maybe speak to that. Yeah. Um, he is. I really liked Paredes from when he was at Roma. I think it's unfortunate that we had to sell when we had to sell, um, which is kind of the story of our life. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I definitely think that um, it's it's just going to be bad news for for Roma if he comes back and is wearing a, a Juventus kit. That's first and foremost. It's disgusting, and I hate it. But um, yeah, he is kind of your typical regista. Um, so he's like a deep lying playmaker, um, who's an exquisite passer. Um, you know, he's, I think he's going to be able to deliver. He's a really good, um, you know, long ball, um, sort of, um, passer of the ball. Um, I do think that he, from what it seems, I mean, this is just speculation. I don't know if, you know, I haven't really read anything on this, but it seems that if he were to fit into Juventus, he'd kind of be a nice fit in the double pivot role next to Locatelli. Um, he could even play, I think he complements the stylistically, the attributes of Paul Pogba as well, as we know is coming. I think Di Maria, you know, Paredes and Di Maria both being Argentinian, um, and, and Di Maria seemingly has agreed to a move to Juve. I think he'll benefit there. Di Maria on the wing as Paredes, like I said, is a fantastic passer of the ball. Um, you know, he's a good ball winner. Um, he's, uh, he's a strong, um, defensive screen for center backs you know he does provide cover um you know for what i think is probably going to be bonucci and delict will be kind of the main center back duo there so he does add a lot of really good attributes as a midfielder i definitely can see it happening i think it's a good move for juventus if they pull it off um and like i said i think it would be a very nice duo there with him and locatelli 
Um, and then perhaps we'll see Pogba uh, a little bit um, higher up the pitch. Yeah, no, definitely. I do think that in the middle of the park, Juventus would be more than set. Um, obviously, Rabiot is still part of the team. Arthur is still part of the team, but they would not start. It would be Paredes, it would be Locatelli, and maybe Paul Pogba right in front of them, right? Uh, acting more of a, of a, as a number 10 or a creative midfielder, maybe that, that uh, box-to-box that can provide some service into the box too. Um, and then obviously, you would have Di Maria, who's pretty much a done deal um, as, as it stands right now, with Vlahovic up top. Someone on that left wing who ideally will be Chiesa when he's fit, right? Uh, but I do think that Juventus from the middle of the park upwards, they are pretty much set, right? They don't need to touch much else. But what about the back? You can't keep relying on Bonucci. And uh, obviously, the Ligt is very young, but you can't keep relying on Bonucci. And then who who's your third center back? Is it Danilo still? Like like Because I don't see... How Juventus can compete for the title if they if they stay like this? Yeah, and that's a good point to bring up too. I think um, <clears throat> we do know that Juventus. I mean, especially with with Allegri, um, you know, defensive football is is the forte, right? So I think having a strong defensive system, they do play in a low block. So I think it's really important to kind of for them at least. I mean, I hope that they don't figure it out. I hope that it's a disaster, but um, <laughs> they definitely need to add. Um, some help in the back end there too, but you know, um, we'll see how how they how they approach the market. I mean, they've been a really interesting sort of um, they've been an interesting sort of team in terms of like their rumors and who they've been linked to. It's kind of hard to know exactly. It looks like they've been really trying to target the free agent market um, with Pogba and, and Di Maria. But you're right, there's not a lot of center center back coverage there. I think the only other true center back in that lineup is Lugani, who. I think is on his way out. So they'll definitely have to replace, um, replace Lugani. And I think they will look at another center back for sure. Um, but uh, when it just comes to Pettides, I just think he's going to be, if he does come, he's going to be such a fantastic fit. Um, he's really good. I think, like I said, the wingers are really going to benefit from him. Chiesa and Di Maria and even Vlahovic. I think they're going to get really good service from him. He can really break the lines um, and he's going to just, allow a team that doesn't have a lot of offensive philosophy to be able to kind of have that. So he's going to be able to kind of provide that sort of service because let's face it, Allegri, God, I mean, I'd rather watch paint dry than watch this guy coach. But at the end of the day, a guy like Paredes can, can definitely open things up, break those lines down. And I think that they'll, uh, he'll be a nice fit, but we'll see. We'll see what, uh, what PSG has to say. All right, Gio, let's, let's go into the last little segment here. Start, bench, sell. We're going to play a little bit of that. I'll give Love you three it. scenarios. We'll start with one more of a modern modern day um, era here. We're going to go Neymar, Eden Hazard, and Bale. You got to start one, bench one, sell one. In their prime or right now? In their prime, in their oh, prime, God. definitely. You said right now. I was <laughs> in their prime, in their prime. Say, can you name them just one more time? Neymar, Bale, name- Hazard and Bale. Jeez. Wow. 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 Okay. Um, I think I, in their prime, I would start Hazard. Okay. Um, I would, I would bench, um, I think I would bench Neymar and sell, sell Bale. 
Okay. Um, How about you? I'll have to go start Neymar, bench Hazard, and sell Bale. So we only just, agreed I mean, on Bale. Hazard, I think, was one of the best footballers in the world at Chelsea. That's why I had to go there. He was unreal. Yeah, but, but, but what about Neymar at Barca? Yeah, I mean, oh, you can't really go wrong. I just think that, I don't know, in terms of like team team philosophy, I feel like in their prime, Hazard can maybe supply a little bit more. It's such a hard question. I'm not even going to debate it because someone's <laughs> going to rip my head off. They're both amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Moving on. Moving yeah. on. Uh, goalkeepers here. Oliver Kahn, Gigi Buffon, and Iker Casillas. Wait, you really got... <laughs> Who's the first one again? Oliver Kahn. I got a... Jeez. I think in their prime, in their prime. Probably starting Casillas. Okay. No, no. Starting Buffon. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Starting Buffon, <laughs> benching Casillas, and, uh, and, and dumping Oliver Kahn. Oof, oof. Um, I'm going to go with Casillas. I'm going to go with Casillas. I'm going to go with... Uh, it's it's a hard one. I'll go with... Selling, was, selling, selling Oliver Kahn and, and benching Buffon. So pretty much the same. Again, yeah. uh, you I saw started because he saw me struggle there, so that was yeah. very, very <laughs> similar choices. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is probably the hardest one. You ready? Oh, lovely. <laughs> Ronaldinho, Zidane, or Ronaldo Nazario? Oh my God! Um, just a, a little thing here. This is a shout out to. Um, our former co-worker well your current co-worker and our, our uh my former co-worker kelvin um i know what he would pick he's a brazilian fella so of course he is i hope he's uh, i hope he's listening here actually maybe i'm not hoping because he might get mad at me but um <laughs> i think oh i think i would gosh you suck i think i'm gonna start <laughs> I think I'm going to start Zidane. Oh, wow. I think, uh, I think I'm going to... You know what? No, I'm going to flip it. Sorry. I'm going to start Ronaldo. Okay. I'm going to bench Ronaldinho. Ooh. And I'm going to Zidane solely you because... Went, you went from starting Zidane to I know. Here. I know, but then I thought about it in my head, and I'm just like, ah, Ronaldinho, Ronaldinho was such a magician with the ball, man. And you know what? I might even be totally wrong because I think maybe Zidane is more of a complete player, but I just loved watching it Ronaldinho. I love, like, he's just such a fan. And I mean, Ronaldo is, is top five in, in ever, in my opinion. So, yeah, like, listen, I'm going to start Ronaldo 100%, but yeah. I think I'll sell Ronaldinho. And, That's I'm, fair. and I'm benching Zidane because just what I'm taking into account is how long he was around for at his best. That's how I'm doing it. I think um, I think, yeah, I think that he like he was great for five years at Barca, and that was pretty much it. And I I loved 
watching him play. Um, but I gotta. It's a tough decision. It's a tough. I, I don't. Being a being a manager is hard. None of these. None of these uh, are are right or wrong answer. You're basically losing one elite all timer in the, in the start sit bench. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, that was that was it for today, Gio. Thanks for uh, bearing with me and and my um, my endless hope for Chelsea <laughs> and uh, thinking that they're gonna we're gonna win the league next year. You just uh, hold on tight and see. We'll see, man. We'll see. I mean, we'll see the market. I'm excited to see how this all shapes out. Looks like it's going to be an active one. So um, stay tuned and can't wait to, to do this again. And hopefully there's some even more news that we can uh, break down, which I'm sure there will be. Yep. All right, guys. And thanks for listening today. And as always, remember that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Backroom Foodie. And you can use the same for our email. It's backroomfoody at gmail.com. You can always suggest on new topics. You can always send us uh, any type of feedback and make sure you can you drop a rating uh, once you listen to the podcast. Thank you. We'll, we'll see you yeah. guys on the next one. Yeah, thanks, guys. And yeah, check out. Uh, we're very active on Twitter. So um, a lot of room for interaction there if you got suggestions as well and, and feedback. So we're always open to it and always grateful for it. Have a good one, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.